Could our weaknesses and limitations actually be a doorway to something more? Let's talk about it with David Zoll on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we're so glad you're here. Uh, this is, uh, if I look, I'm, if I'm in a different place, it looks that way, I'm in a different place. I'm at the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in the mountains of North Carolina, and it's a beautiful people, a place, and I'm sitting in a cabin up on the side of a mountain that you have to take a long dirt road to get to, and yet... With modern technology, I get to be with my friends and with you guys. And we're glad you're here. You always have a place at our table. Matthew Porter, our executive producer, is here. Now and then, Matthew thinks of himself as a leader. And uh, then he remembers half the time he can't even convince his family to go to his favorite restaurant. The I have that problem, too. <laughs> and our producer, Jinx, is working hard in his little glass booth. Oh, yeah. You, you said they canceled your monthly meeting of the Pessimist Club. What was that? Yeah, I knew they'd do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, our uh, uh, director and one-man uh, IT director... He's next. One-man IT department. John Myers is in his tech bunker. John says artificial intelligence will never take his job. It would be too smart for him to do that, (laughs) which is (laughs) true. And George Bingham, the president of Key Life, is on the road. He was with me at the Cove this last week, as was Kathy. And they are driving back today, and uh, so we will miss his presence. And Kathy Wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program. Kathy, I understand you recently invented a new hot chocolate drink. Oh. Oh. Did you discover that at the Cove? No, I'm just reading what Matthew wrote. (laughs) Oh my Share goodness. The secrets. Well, let me tell you, you know, Hello? I'm not a I'm not a coffee. I'll just tell you this really quickly. I'm not a coffee drinker, so I didn't pay attention to that little machine that dispenses coffee and cappuccino and all that kind of stuff. But then somebody told me that if you go in all the way to the end that there was hot chocolate and I thought well, it's cooler here, there in North Carolina. I mean, it's like 94 in Miami. It was like 68. I thought, well, this is hot chocolate weather. Well, guess what else they have? They have a frozen yogurt dispenser. So guess who put some frozen vanilla yogurt into their hot chocolate? Oh, my goodness. I said it's a good thing I didn't discover this on Thursday night or I would have had to waddle out of there because I would have like done Thomas all day Edison. long. Oh, my gosh. Did you, did you bring the machine back? I did not, but I think I know how to do it because I have an ice cream maker at home. Okay. So we'll try it one time. We'll be over after that, the show. After if, the show. If that doesn't work, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll foot the bill for you to get an ice cream maker. Well, listen, and I tell you, I said to myself, you know what? Like, yep. If 
if if Steve doesn't do a good job here at the Cove this weekend, there's always hot chocolate and frozen yogurt. <laughs> you know, it's a win-win. Hey, guys, we have one of my favorite people here with us, David Zoll. He's the founder and the director of Mockingbird Ministries. He's the editor-in-chief of Mockingbird Blog, a co-host of the Mockingbird Podcast, and he's written for Christianity Today and Washington Post. That was before he was a Christian. He also (laughs) serves on the staff of Christ Episcopal Church in Virginia, and his latest book, which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers, is Low Anthropology, the Unlikely Key to a gracious view of others and yourself. David, thank you for taking your time to be with us. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Steve. I wouldn't miss a chance to give you a hard time uh, in front of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, let's start with that wedding ceremony. Mm. And then we're going to find out what low anthropology is. But that wedding ceremony blew me away. Tell us about it. Well, it's something that a place in London called the School of Life devised a a how to get married in the kind of post-religious age that doesn't seem to be just sentimentality. And as two people getting up there in front of a crowd, uh, this uh, man and a woman read first from uh, they do what's called the ritual of humility and they read from their book of imperfections. <laughs> and so the lady cracks open the book and says, you know, I have I have trouble communicating my feelings maturely. And I assume that if you're mad, it's something I've done. And the, then the guy says, uh, basically, like, I, I sulk and get angry and wish you could read my mind. And then the whole crowd says, uh, we have all been idiots and will be idiots again. We, <laughs> the, the circumstances may vary, but we understand and we are here to make you less lonely in your feelings. Oh, and then you have a, you have a voiceover that says, this is important because the great enemy of love is self-righteousness. Oh my. And I, I found that to and be that's true. A, that's not a uh, made up thing. That was a real ceremony, right? No, I think it's a satirical thing, but maybe people have tried it. Uh, it's it's not. It hits something. It, <laughs> I've, every Listen. time I've shown that clip, uh, people laugh. And the older they, uh, they are, the more they laugh. It's. Um... Oh, man. So good. All right. Let's get down. What in the world is low anthropology? <laughs> low is it, anthropology. Uh, oh, anthropology for midgets? Or is it low? <laughs> What is it? <laughs> well, this is the risk in writing a book with this title, because it's not I don't t- using the word anthropology like a, like a graduate course in about the rainforest uh, tribes or something like that. An anthropology is simply what what theologians and philosophers um, it's the word they use to sort of refer to um, you, whatever your operating theory of human nature is. So everyone has something they mean when they say the phrase, I'm only human. Uh, That's your anthropology. So I have an anthropology, you have an anthropology. It's like a set of presuppositions or ideas about what it means to be human, what human beings are like, what we're good at, what we're not good at. High anthropology tends to be more optimistic about the human spirit. And uh, a low anthropology is what I would call more sober. Um, some would say it's just more more pessimistic is one way to put it, but it doesn't in any way discount acts of love and charity and goodness. But it says it's just as human 
to be full of uh, doubt and longing and insecurity and grief and loss and sin as it is to be an image bearer who uh, you know, reaches out to the least of these in love. So, so a low anthropology is what I, I would call it like a comprehensive view of human nature. And I think people's anthropologies, whether they're conscious of them or not, I think it, 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 it creates all sorts of expectations in marriages, in uh, just friendships, in our relationship with ourself, to say nothing of like our church and, and God. So. And, fa- and it affects everything. It's, uh, everything. My, my friend Fred Smith said that everything that you believe about politics, um, about education, about religion, about philosophy, is determined by your anthropology, what you, what you think. And man, your book is profound. I'd like to get this in the hands of everybody I know. And I need to read it at least once a week. Because, you know, religious people get the disease and uh, you can't help it. It just crawls up on you and you start proclaiming your goodness and how you can be like me if you just did some religious things. And that's going to kill us. It's going to kill our country. It's going to kill every relationship that we ever have. Have you, has the book been out long enough for you to start to get uh, responses? (laughs) The book came out today. So oh, um, you don't know. I have, <laughs> I've heard from some people who say that they feel every single page makes them feel better <laughs> <laughs> and that they feel, you know, uh, a deeper appreciation of feeling that they're not alone in their, you know, limitations and their weaknesses and their, you know, self-centeredness or what have you. But I, I'm pause. I'm sure that I'm going to get some pushback and say, oh, this is kind of gloomy or pessimistic, but you know, Steve, I mean, I, I I'm convinced and that I wrote the book because I think that in fact, the weakness and limitation are, are actually the pathway to compassion and unity and love and, and not to say nothing of God, like those who, you know, what is it? Jesus says, those who are well, have no need of a doctor. Those Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so this is a book that is really meant to, mine and unearth and expose the way that our, our operating theories of human nature, some of which we've, we've sort of swallowed unintentionally and some of which we've consciously adopted have in fact informed or infected or maybe shaped our view of other people. Um, Cause if you, if you expect people to be what they cannot be, you're going to start to hate them pretty soon, I think. Yeah. Um, and that goes and if you creatures. can come to the realization that you can't be that either, mm. Uh, then we can talk, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> Boy, the savior, you, and you're not him. <laughs> you talk about a well-timed yeah. book and a canceled culture of self-righteousness. This is a book that be should be read by everybody. Low anthropology, the unlikely key to a gracious view of others and yourself. David Zoll is the uh, is the author of this book. And he doesn't just write about it, he lives it. And I've watched him (laughs) in so many places. So this is the real deal. If you're a real deal, if you're a cynical old preacher like me, you need this book.
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Hey, thanks for being with us. Uh, We're talking with David Zoll, and his book is called Low Anthropology. And you say, say what? Well, if you listen, you're going to learn stuff that will change your life. Subtitle is The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others and Yourself. David, reading your book, it reminded me of a conversation I had with our oldest son not even a week ago. He's just learning tackle football, mm-hmm. which is a whole new game from flag football. And he's getting really frustrated because it's it's a lot to learn. And I asked him, I'm like, if you had a player on your team and he wasn't getting it immediately and it was taking him a little longer, would you be tough on that kid? He goes, no, I wouldn't. I would be understanding. I said, okay, then you're that kid. You need to take it easy on yourself. And then, of course, God goes, is that conversation for him or for you? I'm like, God, (laughs) teaching me lessons again, just out of the radar. you, You teach yourself a lesson. I'm like. Dang it. He just, he just went stealth on that one. So this idea of perfection of, Mm. of expectations, what, how does that factor into this idea of a low anthropology? Well, I think that the main, what it does is it gives away the fact that we do not have a low anthropology. We Mm. have culturally and in the church and elsewhere, we have just, I think just our default is, and that's what the Garden of Eden tells me. Our default is a high anthropology of thinking too much of ourselves. And, um, and so, but, but the way that that works out right now in the culture is, is you hear the phrase burnout a lot. People are burned out, which means they're being asked to do more than they could possibly do for longer than they can possibly do it. And there's a sense of like paralysis that develops or even almost a sense of betrayal at every layer of society. This is kind of true. So, um, Perfection in that sense is simply a nonstop treadmill like demand on you. But then you have um, the sort of expectation or the that you need to not just sort of do everything, you need to know everything and be certain about ever like you know we're 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 at a time of immense certainty and there's not a lot of humility and and we do that i think partly because we're so exhausted and it's easier to be certain about things than to sort of interrogate yourself but then we also feel like we have to not only know everything and do everything we have to care about everything and so in in the world and whether it's left right center whatever the discourse is on social media you're under a lot of pressure today i think to demonstrate that you care 
about everything in the right way. And you need to let everyone know that. And so all of that sort of combines into this uh, juggernaut of um, demand and, and burnout and where people are also uh, just um, there's a high anthropology that is that, that, that grinds us down because there's no grace inherent. There's no forgiveness. There's no, there's no space given to our humanity in that respect. There's no, you know, in Christianity, we have, we have the, the expectation of the law that is met with the promise of the gospel, which is the forgiveness of sin and the, you know, the blood of Christ in, in a cultural context, you just have basically just keep trying even harder or convince people hide even more, whatever it is, wherever you're venting your lack of perfection. And that creates a pretty, um, a pretty unsustainable and I think miserable to say nothing of like lonely situation. So low anthropology is, I think, well, it sounds gloomy. It's a breath of fresh air to people who feel like they have to do it all, know it all and care about it all. Oh man. Kind of makes you, kind of makes you feel sorry uh, for the people in our culture who are courting. I remember one of television commentator, news commentators commented that Wood, the uh, golfer, after he had fallen, was a Buddhist and they had no view of redemption. Mm. And he said, I don't know where somebody like that goes when they've screwed up that bad. And he was saying something quite profound. Yeah, uh, there's a sense in which there is a cultural Buddhism that um, that covers our nation. Mm. And you just described it. You just described uh, the hell and the darkness of that sort of thing, because it's built on a lie, isn't it? It's built on a lie that we're gods and not creatures, not we're creators, and yeah. not creatures. Uh and that's the lie that is inherent right at the right at the heart of the Christian anthropology, um, which is not just that we are sinners, but that we're also creatures. That we, we, we're sort of so. There's people would say, is this book translating original sin into sort of cultural terminology? It's not that a biblical anthropology is not just sin, because sin doesn't make sense outside of a sense of fallenness. It's that you are both um, finite and, and a creature with firm limits. You need to sleep eight hours or you know six hours a day and eat food and oxygen and all that stuff. And then the second pillar, which I call the second pillar of a low anthropology, is that your willpower is limited as well, and that you kind of you're you're often in conflict, like what you want to do and what you should do, uh, or what different parts of you want to do. Or ne it's never that clear cut. And then, yes, there is the sort of ineluctable dark side of the human creature, which seems to be you cannot look at human history to say nothing of yourself without some sense of if you don't have that piece. Well, then you think I'm the only one who is who who whose internal monologue looks this dark, you know. Um, but what we find out, I think, is, as Christians, is that, no, that's the that's the that's the lot. That's the world that Christ came to to save. You know, I mean. That's at least how I, how I see it. So true. That's good stuff. It's just so important that we get Kathy. Um, David, my question, I, I was going to zero in a little bit on, on the pillars and you kind of touched on that already, but um, what, what happens to us individually and, and then uh, to our relationships um, with others when we ad adopt a low anthropology view 
Well, I think when we have a low anthropology, we could assume we start to believe that the other person's actually as real as we are and subject mm. to the same limitations, conflictedness, doubleness and uh, sin that we are. So we don't immediately assume that they're a different type of person, either a much better person or a much more sane person. In fact, we, we, we begin from the standpoint that they're crazy in certain ways that make them insufferable and, and, but also gifted in ways that make them, uh, you know, beautiful, but that they are not a wholly other species that I have to uh, separate myself from. So we, I think we, we, we find that we can connect with other people, especially at their point of weakness, knowing that there's always a point of weakness. And uh, if, but if you view people as just sort of ironclad example, paragons of virtue or as absolute villains and possessed by hatred, then you're going to just divide into ever smaller categories. A low anthropology, I think, builds a broader consensus, but it builds it on the basis of shared weakness, limitation, and conflict. Oh, such good stuff. Listen, if you're contemplating tearing down a statue because the person it represents did really bad things, you got a problem because you can't find anybody to replace that statue who isn't exactly like the person who was represented in the first place. Guys, you don't want to miss a word of this. This is so important, so profound, and so timely. So if you turn off the radio or quit watching, you'll get the fever and die. From Key Life comes two mini books. What do you do for a living? And Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know, a gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life and how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through keylife.org for a donation of $6. We're talking about David Zoll. By the way, you can keep up with David and his work with Mockingbird at mbird.com and on Twitter at Mockingbird, M-I-N. David, where, what's, what's mock? That's a, why do you call it Mockingbird? (laughs) Uh, Well, it's, um, I believe that uh, that we have one message to get out there and we say it over and over again, like a mockingbird. And our message is the sort of song of God's grace, which people who are um, frankly 
you know, defined by the low anthropology or at least recognized by it, uh, need never, never, ever outrun their need to hear the word of absolution and pardon and forgiveness that we hear in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that's why we call it Mockingbird. <laughs> I like it. You know, I, because of my shame, I never asked because I figured everybody knew except me. Well, I like, I, I like I, it because it means I can someone when someone asks, I can kind of, you know, explain that's true. The gospel or below anthropology, it's all that stuff. Because, you know, Christians have a way of, you know, they 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 Christianity has a low anthropology. If you view people as in need of forgiveness and the need of a savior. But what we do is once someone becomes a Christian, we, I call it a selectively high anthropology. We just we, we just pump air into that anthropology until all of a sudden, the longer you're a Christian or the, 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 the more you spend time in church, you realize, wait a second, I came here because I couldn't do, I needed God. And all of a sudden, I, I just feel like I'm failing it again, or I'm, I'm, I'm falling down a new ladder. And that is, um, that's how this low anthropology stuff uh, comes into the church. We believe that Christians remain that we, we will never not need Jesus, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and in fact, when you talk to someone like when you, anytime I've heard, read interviews with someone like Billy Graham or mother Teresa at the end of their life, they didn't, they didn't sound like they thought they were tired on a ladder. It sounded mm -hmm. like they were more convinced of their own smallness and therefore the bigness, the largeness of God. So Low anthropology is, um, you know, uh, trying to put fresh words around that reality. It, it seems like the idea of low anthropology could also connect us in a new way to Jesus, because I know personally, I always I, I, I have that higher anthropology of myself. I'm like, I just want to glide through life being efficient and just with an elegance. And and instead, I wake up and I find myself the guy that my wife asks four times a week, what is on your shirt? And like <laughs> oh, it's, it's mustard or toothpaste one, I, you know, you're like, it's I'm, I'm not the guy I want to be in it actually talking. It reminds me of uh, a long time ago. I'm not going to do the math. The, a Joan Osborne song. What if God was one of us? And it was written long in this. Time it's ago. a mocking kind of thing, but there's, they accidentally stumbled into some truth. And it's uh, the, the, choruses what if god was one of us just a slob like one of us just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way back back home and you're like you don't get it joan he he was one of us mm. he's undoubtedly at some point ate food and it dropped on the floor and he had and so with this low anthropology you're like jesus lived in that he never sinned but he had these physical limitations that we do it feels like it could bring us full circle to understanding God on a deeper level because he understands our human experience on that same level. Yeah. If we really believe, and I think that it's in all the creeds and it's, it's, it's absolutely the truth of the matter is that he, Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Then, then yes, God is not somehow detached and aloof from what it's like to be you, you know, and you with not your, not just your strengths and your accomplishments, but you, when you think no one's looking, you know, um, that's where we, a, uh, that's where the message of the gospel and the person and, uh, you know, figure of Jesus just comes alive. It's not at our place of, of proudest, uh, you know, our, our best day. It's on our worst days. And like, that's, 
I also think that that's how relationships with other people work. I mean, and the fact that it works that way with other people just sort of sheds deeper light on the fact that this is the truth at the center of the universe is that um, love is forged in uh, vulnerability, whatever you want to call it, uh, weakness, uh, fail, failure, um, and sin rather than apart from it. Apart from it, you just have respect and admiration but you don't have love. Grace is the reason it's so captivating is because no one on this planet, uh, they might be able to lie to themselves for a little while, but no one on this planet lives a life that is exempt from the need for uh, forgiveness or grace at at some point at the chinks are in the armor are going to show. And the, the, it might not just be mustard on your shirt. You know, you, you, you know, you might, rip that thing to shreds by mistake. It's um, so anyway, I'm, that's where I'm putting all my hope as someone who feels very recognized by the biblical anthropology. I all therefore find my hope in the biblical answer, which is Jesus, the, my, what I would call high Christology. High Christology and low anthropology. Man, it's the key. And uh, it's sad that so many people, even religious people, don't see that. In the canceled culture, you got to be careful about what you say, what you do, what you think. And as a result, we don't say anything. We don't do anything. We don't have relations. Hey, listen, you got to get a copy of this book. It's, uh, it's a life-changing book. Low Anthropology by David Zoll. And by the way, stay with us, because we're coming back just like Jesus. It was irritated when the electricity went out. No television, no music, no Netflix. Then he discovered that the battery on his smartphone was dead. He decided to make some coffee, but when he went to the kitchen, he realized that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. Then he noticed his wife in the kitchen, and he sat down and talked to her. He said later, you know, she seemed like a very nice lady. I know, I know, technology's good, but sometimes go talk to somebody face to face. You might be surprised how nice and real they are. It's messy sometimes, but Jesus would like it. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Hey, thanks for joining us. Hey, just a reminder, October the 17th, for the first time ever, we're going to record this show in front of a live audience here in Central Florida. I have a new book coming out, and I'm going to keep doing it till I get it right. And we're going to record this uh, program. We'd love for you to be there. And if you're in driving distance, uh, go to keylife.org, and you can get some information on it. David, uh, as you know, I love your father. Uh, I can't tell you 
I can't tell you what his ministry has meant to me. It just it encouraged me. It told me I could keep doing what I was doing when everybody else was telling me I was ugly and my mother's dress was funny. Uh, but that, but I know uh, your father, who is a brilliant scholar, uh, one of the kindest and most gentle men in the world, who spoke grace in places that ticked people off. And he ticked a lot of people off. I get that too. And you get it too at Mockingbird. What what is with that? What makes him so angry? I think people get angry anytime they think you're trying to take something from them. Hmm. And so in this case, uh, it's you're trying to take uh, righteousness or you're trying to undermine their efforts. It, it almost reveals how hard people are white knuckling the sort of life of cr- the Christian. Well, you can almost measure it, how, 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 how miserable they are doing it by how upset they get when when they when they. Uh, um, and I only know this because I can do it. This I'm, I'm a Christian too. And uh, you know, you think I've been at this for years. Surely my, I am better than so-and-so surely I am a little higher along. I am a little closer to God (laughs) and um, it could, you know, that anytime someone is trying to undermine that you get defensive, you get upset, especially if you feel like you've really worked hard for that. And no one wants uh, you to take something that they feel they deserve. And so if you're caught up in a calculus of deserving, um, you're going to react, uh, and often with anger, sometimes with sadness, but usually with anger and try to silence the messenger. Now that said, I mean, I, I watched my dad provoke people in ways that maybe weren't always in his best interest, but I think he was right. I think this low anthropology message, some people will hear it as the best, as incredible news. They'll feel their shoulders unknot and they will be like, they feel like they can breathe. They can breathe as a yeah. Christian. They can breathe as a human being, as a, as a, as a person. Some people will hear it and think um, this sounds too dark or this doesn't take into account how hard I've been working. And, and surely I deserve a little bit of a leg up over those people who really don't get it. I'm a part of the pro- the solution and they're a part of the problem. And uh, if you're in that mindset, which is a very human mindset and uh, I fall into it all the time, well, then you will be resentful when someone says though, in fact, you know, that person who you dislike so much, you know, you're, you're two bad days away from that person, or you are, uh, you have that uh, same inclination. It's just in a, it's just in a different place. Uh, you, you know, you have it within yourself to, to do those things or to, in, whenever you hear someone say, how on earth could so-and-so do such a thing? And like, you want to say the same way you could uh, when you're uh, blinded by uh, self-justification and sin, you know, it's, um, it's not, it's not a stretch. But again, I don't think that I think that un, I think that tears walls down rather than builds fresh ones. And uh, yeah, and unfortunately, I don't think Christians are known for that sort of behavior. And yet it's all right there in the message of our founder and, you know, uh, the Bible and the New Testament witness to say nothing of Steve Brown. I mean, <laughs> I, all I need to do is listen to you. You know, I, I, that's new to me. And that's uh, profound. I'm going to think about that. We're trying to take away 
People get angry when you take away things from them. And when you try to take away their right, that something I've they never think thought, they deserve. I, I, I've mm-hmm. wondered for years. Uh, that explains it. I think you're right on about that. I can think of times when that's been expressed exactly that way. You know, I've worked hard for this and I've loved Jesus and I put the world behind me and the cross in front of me and it's been hard. And you're telling me it doesn't matter. All of a sudden I get their anger. You're also telling people that they're not really in control of as much as they think they're in control of. Yeah. And uh, people don't like being out of, uh, they'll do anything they can just go to an airport, you know, to watch what people do when control, personal control is challenged. Yet I think our addiction to personal control is a huge element of our low anthropology. And it, and it tends not to bear good fruit in our lives or the lives of our, you know, in our relationships. Um, surrender. And, uh, you know, putting another person first and uh, charity, these things bear beautiful fruit, but they're usually born out of a, a smallness of, of self rather than a increasingly grasping for more and more and more. So, yeah, anytime you're challenging what people think they deserve or their sense of control or their religious system of sort of like to know where they stand according to such and such a person, um, that's going to get people's backs up real fast. Uh, mm. and, uh, unfortunately religion, religion and Christianity in particular, for whatever reason tends to attract people that are looking for, uh, God to, to be in control of God. In fact, you know, and, and what we're saying is that God's actually in control. He's the, he's the one who's the, the mercy giver and the, for, and the forgiver and the, and the grace giver. And it's not actually you, your job to be the judge. Um, and uh, people don't like that. I, I want it to be within my description to actually be God. And that's the core diagnosis, I think, of what it means. And yet anyone we've met in our lives who's got some serenity, some sense of holiness, and who we would say actually does seem to be closer to God, usually those are people whose sense of dependence upon God has, has life has, um, has forced them into that position. And they've, uh, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is active uh, and uh, allowing them to receive whatever gifts come their way rather than constantly clutch uh, what they've been given tighter and tighter because whoever is given, you know, w- will be taken away and whoever is, you know, all that Christ language about um, yeah. Yeah. to whom much is given, much is expected. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. David, that's so good. I don't know what happened to this hour. I mean, it's over before it started. (laughs) Thanks for having me. But listen, read this book. Actually, self-awareness is a lot easier, less work than self-righteousness. And once you learn that, this is the way to go. And this book could change your life. David, I love what you do. I love Mockingbird. I love your family. And now I love this book. (laughs) You keep writing. We'll keep talking. Thank you, Steve, so much. Bless you, brother. Guys, once again, don't forget the name of the book. It's Low Anthropology, the unlikely key to gracious view of others and yourself. And we're going to come back for a short time and tell you who we're going to do this unto next week. (laughs) And it's somebody really, really big famous, uh, world-renowned. Like David. (laughs) Like David. Right. Spare me. Don't go away. 
Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of $4. Oh man, what a what a great hour with David Zoll. I love him and I love his family and his mom and dad and brothers and they have been faithful to this message of grace. You know, I said that it's a lot harder and more work to be self-righteous than it is to be self-aware. And that is true. And uh, I've been teaching here at the Cove, the Graham Center, that I felt that we were close to an awakening in America. And people are saying to me, you're crazy. Are you out of your mind? We're not close to an awakening. Yeah, we are. Because we're running out of answers and hope. You can only do self-righteousness for so long before you hit a wall. And that wall is very painful. You can't participate in a canceled culture without getting canceled yourself somewhere down the road. You can't be arrogant and prideful when you're not because you can't fake it that long. And when you reach the end of yourself as a culture or as a person, and there's no other place to go, then Jesus is it. And I think Christians like David, and I might say like his father, and I might say like Key Life Network, uh, we've got the answer. We're not smart or good-looking or sophisticated, but we have the answer. And it's a lot more wonderful than you think it is. As my mentor said, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. But cheer up, God's grace is a lot bigger than you think it is. And it really is. And this book that David has written is simply another and wonderful way of proclaiming that message. So if you can't get along with your mother-in-law, buy this book. <laughs> if, if your preacher is driving you nuts, buy this book. If I irritate you, buy this book. And if you write me, I'll read it again. <laughs> okay, Kathy, you got this going to be next week. I do. Next week, um, our, our friend Chris uh, Denbeston is going to be with us. We had him on a few months back, and we talked about uh, a book that he had written. But actually, prior to that book, he wrote a book. Um, it's titled Grayson's Song, which is a, just an amazing story about his daughter and, and I mean it'll just send chills right up your back it's uh, an amazing amazing story 
And the lessons that he learned. And the lessons they learned. And it's going to be a great time, and you sure want to be here. And we hope you will be. Same time, same place next week. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. And that gives you a wide, wide berth.